I've never said like, oh, I want to start a company. What should I start? Or, you know, I'm an entrepreneur or something like that. It's more that you stumble on something that you just like get excited about and have to do. There, there's this notion of like, you can have ideas or ideas can have you. An idea will have you and you just gotta like bring it to life. I mean, whether you're an academic researcher or someone who, you know, builds technologies or whatever, it's just a matter of, you know, being open to being uh, turned on by something. That was Scott Heiferman talking about the entrepreneurial drive to pursue an idea. According to Scott, it's not about being an entrepreneur. It's about being so excited for an idea that you just can't stop yourself from building it. That's exactly what happened to Scott. Of course, if you've been listening to Webmasters for a while, then you already know that because Scott was the guest on our previous episode, episode number 80. He's the founder of meetup.com. He was answering one of my questions about the relationship between meetup and building community when he said this. By the way, Aaron, I, I should also, there was something I built concurrently with Meetup, separately, that became a big thing <laughs> that I could go on that branch of, of talking to you about uh, if you want. But to answer your question... Um... Scott did go on to answer my original question, but, well, I also wanted to hear about that thing he built concurrently with Meetup. So I hopped on another call with him and we talked about the other company Scott launched while starting Meetup. It was a company called Photolog, F-O-T-O-L-O-G. It had millions of users around the world and was basically Instagram 10 years before Instagram. Ready to hear the story? Let's get dialed in. Hello and welcome back to Webmasters, the podcast that teaches about entrepreneurship by talking with some of the internet's most impactful innovators. I'm your host, Aaron Didden. I'm a serial entrepreneur and I teach entrepreneurship at Duke University, where I also study the history of the internet, World Wide Web, and social media. As you already heard on this episode, we're doing a Webmasters first. I've had lots of guests who have built multiple companies, but this is the first time I'm bringing back one of those guests to talk about something else he built other than what we talked about in the original episode. On that last episode, episode number 80, you heard Scott Heiferman tell the story of how he built meetup.com. On this episode, he's going to share the story of building Photolog, which was basically one of the first modern social networks. I'm going to tell you all about it, but before I do that, I want to make sure I take a minute to tell you about our sponsor. Webmasters is being brought to you thanks to the support of Latonas. Latonas is a boutique mergers and acquisitions broker that helps people buy and sell cash flow positive internet businesses and digital assets. That includes everything from e-commerce stores to SaaS apps, domain portfolios to content websites. Basically, if it's an online work from anywhere business that's making money and you're interested in selling it, Latonas can help you get it sold for a great price. Be sure to reach out to the team at Latonas and they can tell you all about the process and get you started. And of course, if you're hoping to buy a business like that, Latonas can help you too. Just head on over to the Latonas website where you'll find listings for all the profitable internet businesses they're currently helping to sell. That website is latonas.com. That's L-A-T-O-N-A-S.com. 
I've already told you Photolog was one of the first modern social networks with millions of users. When you heard that, chances are you had one of two thoughts. Either you thought, of course, you didn't need to tell me that. I know what Photolog is. Or you thought, Photolog, what the heck is that? How could there have been a wildly popular social network with millions of users that I've never heard of? Well, Photolog was indeed wildly popular, but its popularity was very country dependent. For example, its biggest audiences were in South America, especially Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. And you know, let's be clear, in those places where it was popular, Photolog was extremely popular. If you were a teenager in South America in the mid-2000s, you probably used Photolog. And it's really weird because if I, whenever I meet someone from like Chile and if I knew they were a teenager around 2007 or so, 2006, I'll say, tell me about your Photolog. And they will. And what's funny is that they don't know that Photolog was not a global phenomenon. It was only a phenomenon in a bunch of countries. But all the teenagers used it. It was sort of like a boy band. It's like an iconic thing that defined a generation. And uh, out of curiosity, why do you think Photolog became so popular in other countries uh, as opposed to where you were located back in the United States? That's such a great question because the answer is, who knows? I mean, I was in a studio apartment in New York City cranking out this thing with a couple people and why it took off in those countries, I have, I have no idea. It's kind of like with Meetup. You know, a lot of what I thought people would use it for, they didn't. And the things they used it for were things that I never imagined. You can have a lot of smart MBAs uh, thinking about lots of strategies and planning this and plotting that and market testing this and doing all kinds of analysis about that. Uh, but, you know, in, in the end, if you make something that people can embrace and make their own, you, you really just can't predict how they're going to use it, why they're going to use it, where they're going to use it, and, and how it will spread. And um, that's just one of the best parts of the adventure of making stuff on a global platform that's a network of computers and a network of people. Okay, I suppose that's a fair point. We can't really control how things spread across such a, a huge network of people like the internet. However, while Photolog was basically iconic for some people, I'm guessing it's not as familiar to, in particular, the people in my audience who tend to skew more US, Europe, Australia. Uh, since it's not entirely familiar to everyone listening, would you mind explaining what Photolog was and where the idea came from? So it's kind of an, a really odd thing after I had um, sold iTraffic. iTraffic, you might recall, was the ad agency Scott built and sold in his 20s that was basically one of the first, if not the first, online ad agencies. I was goofing around for a year, year and a half, and um, in this period where people thought the web was dead, so this was, you know, you're talking 2000, 2001, the dot-com bubble had burst, people said the internet was dead, all the, you know, venture capital had gone away, and so many startups had failed. You know, that was this period when blogs and a lot of the sort of community web was actually thriving and growing. And so I was just really interested in all things related to how people were self-publishing and weblogs and stuff like that. And because I'm a crappy writer and I really always kind of loved photography, I had this thought, which was, what if you did a blog, but it was just photos? And so I started doing my own website, handmade website called, uh, you know, my photo of the day. And for a couple of years, um, I just posted a photo of the day and it was really tedious to do. 
And I was also really paying a ton of attention to LiveJournal at the time. So I went and saw Brad Fitzpatrick, the, the, the guy who founded LiveJournal. And I went and saw Ev Williams, who was doing Blogger. And I was like, why isn't there like a blogger for just photos? And they were like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I was like, I said to Ev Williams, like, we should do this together. He's like, no, he was basically a one-man shop before he sold Blogger to Google. I want to make it easier for me to do my photo blog. But most importantly, what I really wanted was other people to do photo blogs too and have basically a friend feed, a feed of what my friends were posting, pictures my friends were posting on one page, um, which was basically Instagram 10 years before Instagram. I mean, yeah, that's, that's basically exactly Instagram before Instagram. I mean, everyone tells a story of like the thing they built that was 10 years before the big thing. But the fact is, this thing actually took off massively. It became a top 10 website in almost 10 countries and sustained for a while. So I actually um, started Meetup, which people think was like the big thing that I started. But Photolog really massively took off. And I had to make a decision whether I wanted to focus on Photolog or uh, Meetup. And my heart was really in Meetup, even though I love Photolog. And so my buddy, Adam Seifer, who loved Photolog, I said, uh, who, by the way, used to work with Andrew Weinrich at Six Degrees. I said, hey, why don't you take this thing over? And he, and he did. By the way, you heard Scott mention someone named Andrew Weinrich in Six Degrees. Six Degrees is largely considered the first social networking website. It was launched back in 1997, and Andrew literally filed the original patent on social networking, which is a story we heard from him back in Webmasters episode number 39. One of the interesting things about Andrew's story and the story of Six Degrees is how so much of the more problematic issues that are present around social media today in relation to everything from you know, questions of privacy to manipulation to addiction were already starting to appear on that very first social network. And Photolog, which got significantly larger than Six Degrees, is really where these issues started to become particularly apparent. All the behaviors that you saw about how young people used a photo-based social networking platform was like right there. In fact, the New York Times had an A1 story about this like youth phenomenon called Photolog and on all the sort of weird byproducts that was happening. That was really a big um, preview of what happened globally with Instagram a few years later. So... Thankfully, uh, you know, Photolog was, uh, was acquired, uh, you know, at the height of its popularity in uh, 2008, I believe, and 2007. And, uh, you know, eventually Instagram and Facebook just crushed it. What kind of issues were you seeing? Was there any foreshadowing of the kinds of issues, uh, both good and bad, that, that we've come to associate with these kinds of platforms today? Uh, things like addiction or bullying, uh, spamming of accounts, bot accounts. What were you seeing early on? Absolutely. We were dealing with all of it. Meetup with ultimately has signed up 100 million people. I mean, you know, we, had a, we, we really pioneered a whole lot of things in the trust and safety realm there. Photolog was, was facing a lot of it, too. In the case of Meetup, I mean, there was something called the Tea Party, you know, a decade ago, which was a little bit of a preview of some of the Trump-era politics uh, that we see. And, uh, you know, so a lot, of, a lot of difficult decisions around what does it mean to be a platform and enable activity that you think might be bad for democracy, bad for your country. If you look at the link tree off my Instagram, you could see there's some really 
crazy stuff that Fox News would say about me. I'm proud that we made some decisions that I think were bold and that I, I think could have been a blueprint for some other social media. I think most importantly, these questions around what are the models, what are the business models that make for a healthy platforms, you know, for example, not being ad-based, but being subscriber-based, for example, uh, there are some drawbacks. You know, it can, it can slow user growth. But I think with a long-term orientation, it does point to a healthier model. I was reading up on Photolog because it's not something I personally remember encountering, and I was surprised to see that it limited users to uploading one photo per day. Was that a response to those kinds of social media issues? I mean, I guess I should say, at first, I assumed it was to help combat some of those problematic issues surrounding social media. But I guess looking at the timelines, I suppose that couldn't have really been the case, right? There was no social media. Social media literally did not exist. The closest thing to social media was LiveJournal, which, you know, had the incredible innovation of saying that everyone else's blog post is, you know, in one reverse chronological stream. It was like, you know, what later came from Facebook as like the feed. And Brad Fitzpatrick's LiveJournal, Mark Zuckerberg cites it as, as like, he kind of ripped off that part of Facebook from having been into LiveJournal uh, years earlier. But the tagline for Photolog, you know, on day one in 2002 was see what's up. You know, you want to see what your friends are doing. And by the way, another grandpa telling the story here is like, there were no camera phones. The fact that there were a billion photos uploaded to Photolog with a limit of one per day before there was ever such a thing as a camera phone. People had to like take a picture with a digital camera, connect it to their computer, download the picture, and then, you know, make its way to some the cumbersome web-based upload process. Um, I mean, it's remarkable that it worked, but it, it is a testament to how like that simple idea that people would want to see friends' picture of the day, that, you know, and, and see a stream of them and see a, a feed of them. It sounds so obvious now, but it was, it was a real breakthrough at the time. Then I guess, why did you limit uploads to one photo per day? Was it bandwidth or storage issues? I mean, those things would obviously have been very expensive at the time, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, people at the time thought it was because of bandwidth constraints and storage constraints, and it ultimately was hugely a really good thing to limit it to one photo a day. But that wasn't why I did it that way. I did it that way because Photolog was a response to photo storage websites. Because everyone, as I was building it, I was telling people about it, and they're like, you mean it's like Snapfish or Ophoto or, you know, what you would say today, like Google Photos or things like that? And I'd be like, no, 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 it's not, it's not the place to just dump all your photos. It's the place where you would like post a photo a day or something, because I was posting a photo a day. Sometimes when you're building something, it's like if you're trying to communicate what it is and people might misunderstand it, go extreme in like defining it or constraining it by the thing that would make people say, oh, wait, that's weird, you know? Not unlike Twitter and the 140 characters. If Twitter said like, oh, it could get as short or as long as you want, people would just say, oh, this is where I can dump a you know, 5,000 word blog post. But it was the constraint of 140 characters that made people sit up a little straighter and be like, wait, what? I can only do 140 characters? And why? And what does that mean? And, and then it just frames it. But just to be clear, Photolog was five years before Twitter, before Flickr, 
and obviously before Instagram and anything. And so it worked because it stood out for people. This weirdness of the one photo a day thing made people uh, look at it a little funny. And, you know, they looked at it a little longer and, and they, they got it. Wow. So the funky limit and a you know, stream of your friend's photos. I mean, Photolog was really like the playbook of Twitter meets Instagram. But uh, of course, neither of those things existed yet. So I guess let me reverse that and, and ask, what do you think about the fact that those other companies came along a decent bit after and basically built the same thing as you? And, and by the way, as you mentioned earlier, it's not like you had the idea but never really executed it successfully. You clearly built a huge and popular version of those things. Yeah, so not looking for credit. Sometimes I think like, oh man, wouldn't it have been great to be Ev or Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg? Hell no, I wouldn't. Like I learned how to run a decent sized company at Meetup with hundreds of employees and you know, learned how to be a good leader like that. But the kinds of things that you face when you're running something like Twitter or, or Instagram, Facebook, uh, that doesn't sound fun with the, the complexities of, uh, of that job. So, I mean, I've been really lucky and blessed with my career and at every turn, having had a hand in inventing online advertising, having had a hand in inventing social media, and then Meetup too, which is, you know, a different kind of species. With each of these things, I was able to make some money, you know, got to have some crazy adventures with all three. I think being a billionaire would be a pain in the ass. Uh, but having a bit of money is nice. But most importantly, I think, as most people will tell you, the fun days of building something and, and having it take off, of, of just you know, having a successful venture, are those early days, early years. And I hope I still have some more in me. You know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, I, I mean, personally, I feel like I would suffer through being the billionaire founder of Twitter or Facebook, you know, if I had to, but you know, maybe that's just me. Regardless, that does make me curious. Photolog was, of course, still a business, or at least supposed to be. So how were you monetizing it? What, what was the business model? So Photolog ultimately, it had a premium user, freemium, you know, model. And um, in the latter days, I believe there were some ad elements to it. But basically, Imagine the first few years of Twitter and the first few years of Photolog. It was just torrid growth. The job of the company was just to keep the servers running and not melting. And venture money was pumping in there. And then uh, it was uh, ultimately acquired before it answered the revenue question. You know, I, I feel like that's probably the best way to handle a business that's based around huge growth of free users. Just get it sold before you have to figure out the difficult and messy questions of how to monetize it. So uh, I guess just one last question about Photolog, or actually uh, the question is more to understand you. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you had these big successes in terms of a company that successfully helped invent internet advertising, another company that helped invent social media, and of course uh, the biggest success of them all, which was Meetup. But you also mentioned wanting to keep building new things. I think you said something like, I hope I still have some more in me. I have to ask you, why do you need to do more? Why aren't you just happily retired on your private island somewhere? What drives a serial entrepreneur like you to keep building even after you had as much success as you've had? Because, uh, because the world's messed up, because there's an opportunity to, there's, there's just like really um, positive things to invent. I mean, 
if the world was going swimmingly and people's lives were fully sort of solved for and they, they had opportunity and they felt powerful, because um, what else is the point? Some people are good chefs, so they should, you know, make people happy by making good food. Some people are good teachers or nurses or whatever the heck they do that helps a few people. They, you know, that's just a good way to spend your life. I'm not good at most things, and I'm, I'm, I'm good at a few things, and if I can... Um, if I can contribute, I need to do that. It's a, it's a real thrill. Fundamentally, I think that of all the various important things to work on, people can work on healthcare, they can work on climate, they can work on education, they can work, there's so many, there's so many things to do. There's so many things to do. For me, it's this intersection of missed opportunity for connection. I look around and I'm like, kind of like Uber, you know, connected a, a driver and a rider, or Etsy connected a buyer and a seller, or Airbnb connected a person who has a, a home uh, and, and someone who wants to rent it. The world is just one giant missed opportunity for people to connect who could connect or should connect. You know, if a bunch of people who want to go running at night in their neighborhood would do it if they only knew that there were a bunch of other people who would want to run at night together as a group safely, well, they just don't because they don't know how to find those other people. So for me, there's just a lot of good unleashed when you connect people in all these various different ways, whether it's marketplaces or meetup or, or who knows what. Yeah, I just believe in my core that there's just a lot to do. And then couple that with the fact that at the end of the day, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And there's a lot of this big trend towards people getting screwed, you know, with all kinds of various injustice around them. And some days, most days, I'm like feeling hopeless about that. But some days I feel like, wow, you know, the history of the world is really defined by what happens when people meet up and what happens when they come together and how they organize for power and how they do this thing that technology can do, which is bring people together and be powerful together. So yeah, it's just really, it's invigorating and motivating to think that I could do more of that. I also feel like I've learned a lot and people with good opinions and pundits on Twitter, pe people who tweet really well are a dime a dozen, but actually having a, you know, getting your hands dirty, like making stuff that um, people might use. There's not many people who have built platforms that have been used by tens of millions of people. So it would be a shame if I didn't put some of that experience to use. I loved this answer, and it kind of helps me solve a bit of a riddle I've been increasingly thinking about as I've interviewed more and more people for this show. As you all have heard, here on Webmasters, we've talked with some of the most successful entrepreneurs in internet history, people who have built companies that have made them very wealthy, even in a number of cases, billionaires. And for the most part, all of these people are still working on new entrepreneurial ventures. Why? What's keeping them motivated? My sense is that Scott's answer can actually stand in for a lot of their answers. For them, it's not about the money. Retirement would probably be more of a punishment than a reward. What they're interested in are the challenges and the opportunities to help solve difficult problems. As they get more successful, they don't want to stop. They want to use what they've learned to see how much farther they can go. Or as Scott puts it, I don't want to say it's an addiction or something, but it's a um, it's a thrill. It's like I don't know if you're a uh, if you're a musician. I mean, the thrill of writing a pop song must be just amazing. And so, a lot of musicians you and I respect, maybe who like they're still like trying to craft that perfect song. 
So it's also kind of a selfish pursuit, just whittling away at this hobby that you have. Yeah, it's fun. Honestly, despite his protest otherwise, what Scott's describing kind of does sound like an addiction. But that's not a terrible thing, uh, certainly not for all of us who get to benefit from the incredible things he's addicted to building. And of course, we also got to benefit from him taking the time to join us yet again to share another part of his amazing story. Remember, if you'd like to see what he's working on these days and see what he's building next, you can follow Scott Heiferman on Twitter. He's at Heif, that's H-E-I-F. This podcast is on Twitter too. We're at Webmasters Pod, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron Dinnan. You can also find lots of other content I've created around startups and entrepreneurship. They're all linked on my website. It's AaronDinnan.com. Thanks as always to our audio engineer, Ryan Higgs, for bringing together the episode. And thanks to our sponsor, Latonas, for supporting this project. Remember, if you're in the market to buy or sell an internet business, you should start that journey by checking out latonas.com. Lastly, thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to rate, review, like, and whatever else you can over on your podcasting app of choice. Maybe even share the episode with a friend. And of course, be sure you are subscribed so you get the next episode as soon as it's released. We'll have that for you very soon. Until then, it's time for me to sign off. Goodbye. Goodbye.